Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everybody, to the 80th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teen podcast. And I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I have a great episode for you today, but before we get started, I want to let you know about a couple of things. If you need some mom coaching or support, I'm here for you. I do one-on-one calls where I can give you personal coaching for you and your teen. I also have decided that I'm going to start my tried and true Power Your Parenting program on September 21st. This is the best way I can create community and support for a small group of moms. You will get daily support and meet once a week with a group of like-minded moms. If you'd like to know more about the individual coaching or the Power Your Parenting program, you can contact me at Colleen at DialDownTheDrama.com. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Carrie Compakis. We both share a passion for moms, that they have a great relationship with their teens. And she's living that right now with her four teenage daughters. So let me introduce Carrie. Carrie Compakis is a author of the new book, Love Her Well, 10 Ways to Find Joy and Connection with Your Teenage Daughter. She is the top parenting blogger and national speaker from Birmingham, Alabama. Carrie's work has been featured on the Today Show, Today Parents, Yahoo, News, Thrive Global, For Every Mom, The Huffington Post, and other national outlets. She and her husband, Harry, have four daughters and a dog named Lola. So I really appreciate Carrie because she has a passion for moms and teenage daughters, and we share that interest. So I'm so glad that she's going to be a guest on our show. So welcome, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Colleen. (laughs) It's going to be fun talking with you. So I am very impressed because you have four daughters. So uh, can you tell me their ages? Yes, they are 17, 15, 13, and 10. So I've got two at the high school this year, one in middle school, and one at the elementary school. And it's kind of busy around here. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, are they all, like, real different personalities or... Yes, they're all yes. I mean, they, they blend, and um, we were laughing, like, my oldest two get along great now, but when they were little, they fought like cats and dogs because they're different personalities, probably the most different of all of them. But, um, but yeah, we've had, it's, we've had a lot of conversations. I've always told them, you know, if y'all can learn to get along with each other, you will be set for life because that's part of life is getting to know and get along with different personalities. So um, we definitely have different personalities and a lot of strong personalities, which is good. You know, I want that raising daughters, but um, a lot of a lot of emotions flying around. So we, <laughs> my husband, my husband's kind of the calming force in all of it. He's he's very laid back and chill. So he yes. helps us. He helps us kind of keep the a good mood in the house. Good. And you even have a girl dog. Sounds sounds like from the name Lola. Right. Yes. And she <laughs> she's the most high maintenance of everyone. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So I love the title of your new book. Love her well. 
uh, 10 Ways to Find Joy and Connection with Your Teenage Daughter. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you find how you found that title for the book and a little bit about why you wrote it? Because I know titles can be challenging. Yes, that is a great question. Well, the working title when I was writing the book was actually called Connect, 10 Ways to Find Joy in Connection with Your Teenage Daughter. And it was after we chose a publisher, I guess it was last summer, the um, publisher, they said, we think we want something more than just a one-word title. So they put it to their marketing team, and they came up with a few different options. And I think their option that they had was Love Her Now. And I saw that, and I was like, I like it. It's almost right. And then I was like, what about Love Her Well? And it was funny. After we just kind of knew it was the right title, and after we decided on that, I went back and looked at some old speaking, some talks that I'd given, and just some copy. And I saw that phrase that I'd used it repeatedly in different places. So um, it just felt kind of like a God thing that that was the right title for it. But um, but I can't take credit for the title. That was from the marketing team. So um, well, I do, it, go ahead. No, I do like it. I think I think it tells you up front what the book's about. And, and it's a good reminder to me sometimes when I'm having a bad day and I'm not loving my children well. I'm like looking at this, these, this big headline, remembering what I need to preach to myself. So. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because every every mom loves loves their daughters, but we don't naturally love them well, which is why right. you and I are here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so why did you write this book? Well, a lot of reasons, but um, probably the main thing is I'd written for women. I wrote for women when I first started writing about eight years ago, and then I switched to writing for teenage girls when I had an opportunity to write a book for teenage girls. And it was really in writing those two books for teen girls. You know, it was always the moms who were buying the books for them. And I started doing some speaking events, and so I'd meet families at these events. And you know, the moms would ask me, "Well, when are you going to write a book for us?" And I would just smile politely. And in my head, I was thinking, never, because moms are a hard <laughs> audience. And, I, you know, I thought, you know, teenage girls are a lot easier to write for than their mothers. So that was where I started. And but what happened over time was as my girls grew up and I became the mom of a teenage girl and I realized how hard it is. And I felt, I felt like it was a little bit harder to find advice because I had to do more protecting their privacy. And, you know, I also compare it to when your kids are little. I think it's pretty easy to find advice. You know, pretty much if you have trouble with potty training or they're jumping out of their crib, you can ask almost any mom for advice. But as they get older, you really need moms to share your values or, you know, just have more things in common. And you also have to be careful who you're opening up to. So um, I thought, you know, it's really hard. This is why I feel so lonely parenting teenagers. So I wanted a resource that moms could use. And then the main thing that hit me was as I was meeting these girls and I had this, this, this heart for these teenagers that I think have it so much harder than we did at their age, it occurred to me, I was like, you know, some, if these girls read my book or they come to a speaking event, that's a one-time thing. You know, they might do it once or twice a year. But I was like, if I really want to help them, then I need to encourage that relationship with whoever it is that's walking beside them every day. And in most cases, it's their mother's. And as we both know, you know, that mother-daughter relationship, especially in the teenage years, gets a bad rap and is not always a, a loving one. And there's a lot of division and tensions and conflicts that you don't always know how to work through. So I thought, you know, maybe I could do a resource that could promote that relationship or help that relationship that's really empowering these moms and equipping them to help their daughters since they're the ones seeing them, seeing them every day and also who love them more than anybody else. Right, right. That's awesome. Uh, so how long did it take you to write the book? 
Oh, wow. It almost, well, I'd say a full eight months, but I probably, with edits and everything else, about a year. I'm a slow yeah. writer, and it's been actually four years since I've released a book, and that's because I, you know, I spend a year writing it and probably almost another year talking about it. So, so I really took a break. <laughs> you, I'm sure you can relate. You know, I, once, you, yeah. once you finish a big book, I, I was like, I will never be an author to release a book every year because I am slow. And I have to really be invested in whatever I'm writing about and feel passionate about it. Right, right. Well, I think that's fast. Um, Dial Down the Drama took me, I think, five years. Really? Or four years. Wow. I started when my daughter was 15 and I finished when she was 19. Wow. But I love that. I bet because I bet you grew so much as a mom and had so many realizations in that time because a lot happens in those years. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, I I kind of would joke around that um, I wrote the book, I lived the book, I wrote the book, I lived the book, I wrote the book. Uh, so and I'm sure you can kind of relate to that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, it's funny. And I, as soon as I started writing this book, and you kind of know it'll happen because you're always tested on whatever you're writing about. Yeah. As yeah. As I started writing this book, few weeks into it, I felt so certain I knew the message. And one of my daughters and I started locking horns again and going through a hard season. And I just wanted to quit. I mean, I, I was, I really was like, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not the person to write this. And I knew that I just, I had to make a choice. And I told myself, this is exactly how a lot of these moms reading the book are feeling. And yeah. so maybe I can just lean into that feeling and write from that place to, to understand and empathize with, with, with where they are. Because I think it's hard, especially for us moms, to admit that sometimes until someone else admits it first. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I had been, I've been a marriage and family therapist for maybe 28 years. So I had been a marriage and family therapist for 14 years. I think probably when I started writing the book or I I can't exactly remember. But um, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And I do think... The reason I so many moms have really enjoyed my book, and I'm sure are going to enjoy your book, is that it's I didn't write it from kind of this academic place. I wrote it mm-hmm. from, um, and I actually saw you kind of write that in your book, like I, like a mom in the trenches. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm right here with you. I've been right. here. I get it. But we also have some really really great info that's going to help. So exactly. it's not like. Um, yeah, so I had to, when I was first writing the book, I was like, well, I mean, I'm not perfect. Then I, and then I realized, yeah, I mean, none of us are. And perfection is not the deal. And not being a perfect mom doesn't exist. And perfect teens don't exist. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> and I think readers can relate to that more than if you, we were perfect moms. Like People can't relate to that. And, right. you know, something else I thought about, too, was that, you know, in my head, I thought, you know, in 20 years, I always thought maybe in 20 years, I'll write a parenting book because I'll have that full perspective. My girls will be grown. Yeah. But then I started thinking, I mean, even having a fifth grader versus a 12th grader, the parenting is different, even with the generation of my youngest child. So I yeah. started thinking, you know, in 20 years, I won't relate to those parents who are where I am right now. Like I can relate to the people that are my friends and that are in it with me and like you that are in the trenches with you. So yeah, I, I do think yeah. it's important for us to listen to those calls and know we don't have yeah. to be perfect. And like you said, it's not just us having the experience. It's also having the resources that have helped us that we want to share with other people too. Yes, absolutely. So 
one of the things that I liked, I really liked how you organized the book, but um, you had 30, 35 ways to speak life to a teen. So let me ask you first, why did you write that section? And um, do you have a few of your favorites of those 35? Yes. Well, I wrote that section. It really goes back to why I started writing for teenagers in the first place. I think I mentioned that I started off writing for mothers. And um, this was years ago. I was writing for the local children's hospital. And I was interviewing a doctor there on teenage depression. And she told me, she's like, you know, my biggest advice for parents whose teenagers are struggling is to get them help early. And she's like, the earlier you get them help, you know, the more successful our treatment can be. That that's key is that early intervention. And she's like, you know, if you you help them in the teenage years, you can change the whole trajectory of their life. And she told me that it's harder with adults. Like once these things get ingrained and really become part of their personality or their identity, it's a lot harder to change. And so that's what really started giving me that heart to write for teenage girls and to really be mindful of, you know, what we're saying to them is we're really setting them the trajectory for their life, not only how they see themselves or how they look at the world. And, um, and I just know as myself as a, as a parent, I'm a pretty direct person. And mm-hmm. I think that worked when my kids were little. But what I found as they got to be older was sometimes I would say something or give them feedback or I'm thinking, oh, I better tell my daughter, correct her while I'm thinking about it, while I'm seeing this. And it wouldn't go down very, you know, it wouldn't be taken very well, or I could see the hurt on their face. Um, and I was like, oh, I need to think a little bit more about how I'm wording that. Uh, I also felt like, you know, sometimes, you know, they got tired of my life lessons and stopped listening to the life lessons. So I started realizing that I needed some other ways to get those points across. So um, I think just some ways to speak life to a teenager. And, uh, you know, even if they make mistakes or they fail, I think there are ways that we can speak life to them just to really give them that sense of hope. But, um, you know, one, one thing that I'm asking mine right now, just with school being such a weird situation, is how can I help you this week? Or how can I pray for you this week? I think that's mm-hmm. always, you know, good to ask them um, when they fail. I, I have a friend who has five teenagers, and she said that her big question that her husband asked to their teenagers is, what will your recovery be? You know, you're going to fail, you're going to mess up, but what will your recovery be? And I think those are pretty powerful words of life to speak to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so tell me some of your favorites, because I checked a few that I th- I really liked. Yes, and um, some others, I, I think that, you know, making sure they know that, you know, no mistake you make is bigger than my love for you. And I really think, mm-hmm. especially as we launch them into the world, as they go to college, that's something I really want mine to know is that, Nothing you do, nothing that happens is bigger than my love for you, that we are always here for you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's big. Mm-hmm. Very big. Yeah. And just some other basics, like, you know, just you always have a choice. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to do what your friends are doing or what your classmates are doing, that, you know, you yeah. have a choice. And to also be, um, you know, careful whose advice they listen to, that choose wisely who you listen to, and know that not everybody deserves a voice in your life because they're going to hear a lot of voices and some will be encouraging and some will be discouraging. And so just really helping them understand that they don't have to, they don't have to accept everything somebody says to them as the gospel truth. Right. To really be, be particular about who they listen to. Um, yeah. And the main thing is just, you know, I think letting our teenagers know and our children know how thankful we are that God chose us to be their mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I think we, we think we, they know that, but just for us to verbally say that, like, I'm just so thankful to be your mom. I'm really proud of you, not because of anything you're doing, but because of who you are. 
And especially in the school year, one thing I'm trying to stress to my children is I'm just so proud of your work ethic. I'm, this is a weird situation. I feel yeah. bad for y'all having to socially distance and wear masks at school. I can't imagine that. I try to empathize mm-hmm. and just really telling them we're so proud of you for doing this, for you know not complaining too much, for just you know <laughs> building that resilience and um, just making the best of the situation and just really emphasizing you know their work ethic sometimes even more than the results of what grades they're getting yeah well yeah and I think when you're talking about speaking life it's it's being really positive mm-hmm. it's not critical uh it doesn't come like being really frustrated or angry with your teen it's it, it's really seeing kind of their potential and who who they are, and you see it from this spiritual lens too, which I really love. Um, because I think sometimes we, as moms, and I definitely focus this like in my book, Dial Down the Drama, is that uh, we think we can criticize our teens into good behavior. Mm-hmm. But I, that's why I really like this segment. No, it's really like speaking life. Is They don't really actually hear us when we criticize them. They just... They shut down. They go into shame. But uh, but some of these are really these are really nice. So um, so I checked. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's okay to be the only person in the room not doing something. It's okay to leave a party that's getting too wild, or to stand alone in a certain decision. Uh, so I mean that's really really a wonderful way to say that instead of like, you know, don't drink, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind right. of appealing to some of their character so they can step up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, or decisions are never the same after you drink or do drugs. That's when uh, bad stuff happens. And when people can take advantage of you and you only get one body in life. So be good to it, stay in control and make healthy choices. I mean, that's just a really positive way of saying something or, Seek to bless people or not impress people. Um, let's see. Choose wisely who to listen to. Not everyone deserves a voice in your life. And that's like really great. Um, yeah, and this is what you just said. But your family's love for you is bigger than any mistake you can make. We'll always be here for you. Mm-hmm. That's, I agree. Yeah. And I, and I think also just, seeing their potential is so big that, you know, helping them see that bigger vision of not only who they are now, but who they can be. Yeah. Potential. But, you know, I always think about the movie, the help when, you know, she's telling that little girl, you is kind, you is smart. You, what is it? You is beautiful. What is it? You kind, you is smart. You is beautiful. I think that's that's the (laughs) words, but you know, I think of that. I'm like, she's really just creating a vision for that little girl's life. That, you know, if somebody comes up and tells her she's dumb, she won't believe it because she knows that she is smart. And just planting those seeds early. And I think as parents, that is one of the best things we can do for our children is just Mm -hmm. to lay down those tracks. Like people will tell you differently. People won't value you the way you should be valued or treat you the way you should be treated. But you should know that these are the truths about you Mm -hmm. and just really be confident in that. Yes. So that leads nicely into the next segment that I want to talk about is, uh, let's say, you know, 10 ways to see the good in your daughter. So can you tell me why you wrote that segment? Yes, because I, um, you know, I'm like a lot of moms, especially as our 
children get older and you're thinking, oh, well, I've got three years until they leave for college or two years until they leave for college. And sometimes in our head, we've got this little mental checklist like, oh, we've got to make sure they're doing this and they're in this place. And sometimes we just we get so nitpicky about these little things that we think that we're helping them, giving them this constructive criticism or this feedback. And really, it just is hurtful to them. And they just think, I'm never good enough. I can never please my mom. As we hear, you know, a lot of girls say about their mothers that their moms are overly critical. And so I really do think it takes a lot of intention to see the good in our daughters or really anyone that you're close to, anyone you live with. I mean, you see all their flaws, you know each other. And it's really easy to focus on those things. But, um, you know, what I have learned is just to really, when they do something that pleases you or they do something kind, just to really say, I saw you do that. And it might be, you know, I saw you helping the neighbor carrying their groceries. I'm really proud of you. Or I saw you helping your little sister with her homework. And she looks up to you so much. That means so much. You know, that that really, that, that's going to make an impact in her life, the way that you treat her and, and lift her up. Um, I think also just seeing their potential, like I said. You know, one example I give in the book was when my husband and I took a 20th anniversary trip to Italy a few years ago, we went and saw some of Michelangelo's sculptures and we saw the David and it was just amazing. And in that same room where the David is, there are all these half finished sculptures that Michelangelo had done. And it's like a half of a figure coming out of the marble. And our tour guide told us that when Michelangelo looked at a piece of marble, he could see a figure hidden inside that wanted to be set free. And he said that that's the job of every sculptor is you're just chipping away the the stone to get to that figure hiding inside. And it just occurred to me that I thought, you know, that's how God sees us, that he sees this potential in all of us that nobody else sees. And it really takes a lot of vision and a lot of brilliance to see that. And, you know, I don't see anybody else the way that God does. I don't see their potential the way that our creator does. And so I really started praying, you know, God help me see that potential and that inner beauty in not only my children, but other people too. And that's what I think we need to really do with our daughters and our sons is just look at that potential. Um, and also remember ourselves at their age. I think sometimes I laugh because people complain about teenage girls these days or what they're doing on social media. And I'm kind of like, well, have you seen what the adults are doing on social media? They're not getting the best example. You know, how do we expect them to have it figured out at 16 if they're 40 year olds who haven't figured it out? And I really had to do a lot of that digging when I was writing for teenage girls, because um, as I I gave my first draft to my editor, she told me, she's like, you know, this is a good start, but you sound like a mom. And if you sound like a mom, the girls are going to stop reading. So she said, (laughs) (laughs) right. So she was like, you know, basically write it like a wise big sister. And then she told me to channel my teenage self. She goes, remember yourself as a teenager. And I thought that sounded fun because I loved being a teenager. But as I really like went back and started to self-reflect, I remembered all that insecurity. I remembered some of the stupid stuff that I did. I remembered that my parents loved me through all of that. And, you know, they were never worried about how my behavior was reflecting on them as parents. They just cared about me and my faith and, you know, the things that really mattered. It wasn't about what I was making them, you know, how I was making them look or whether they look like rock star parents. And so I think really just to remember that who our kids are at 16 or 20 is not who they're going to be at 30 and 40. But, um, but you know, if we, we see that potential, if we build them up, then we're going to have a voice in their life that we can help them walk into that vision of what we think they can be and what we hope, you know, what we think God created them to be. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where you said love her as she is and love her where she is? 
Yes. You know, love her as she is. Um, an example I give for this was I have a good friend who has a daughter. She's very spunky and, you know, strong personality. And she said when her daughter was a toddler, it drove her crazy that she wanted her to be sweet and easy and compliant. And she just wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And then she went to a two-year-old checkup at the pediatrician and some blood work was off. And they realized within a few days that she had leukemia and she was going to need five years of just grueling treatment. And, you know, thankfully, uh, this little girl is 14 now. My daughter's friends with her. She, you would never know it meeting her. She's doing great. She's been in remission for over five years, um, actually longer than that, 10 years. She's been, you know, she's been, she's in a really good place now. But, but my friend told me, she's like, you know, what I didn't realize was that God made her tough for a reason. And I didn't realize that she needed that armor. He gave her that armor to be able to handle those aggressive cancer treatments that she would need at two years mm-hmm. old. Mm. And that always stuck with me because I think sometimes we we think, oh, our child's so quiet. I wish they'd be more outgoing or they're so tough. And I just want them to, you know, just be kinder and softer. And I think we definitely need to guide them um, and, you know, basically soften those edges that they have, but also realize that we need every personality in this world. And they were made the way that they were for a reason. And that, you know, whatever their personality is, God might be preparing them for something in the future that they need to be that way to be able to handle that situation. So, that's um, a, yeah, that's a great story. Yes. I think that's kind of what I think about when loving them at, or as they are, isn't that they're not a mistake. Those things about us that we can't change. It's not a mistake. And, right. you know, really seeing the good from that too. And then loving them where they are is basically loving them, whether they are five years old or 10 years old or 16 years old and all these different seasons. And just knowing that, you know, maybe they're, they're disappointing us. They're not making the best choices. And we want to just be harsh and critical. And if we do, we'll, they'll probably push us out of their lives and listen to other people besides us. And mm-hmm. so really, like, how can we love them where they are? You know, we don't. And then you gain a voice in their life that can maybe guide them into a better direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's hard to do, whether it's a friend or a child or anybody else. It's just, but that's how we want people to love us. It's like, you know, I'm a mess right now. But if you love me where I am, then I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to take your advice and let you into my life and let you, let you help me. So that's great. That's great. Which leads to the next sec- section um, where you talk about ways to be an emotional coach. Can you talk about, about that a little bit Why you wrote about that? Yes. Well, I think that emotions it, and I've seen it a lot with the work that I've done, not only with mothers and daughters, but also with just the problems that girls have with each other. I mean, I would say for years, I've been getting emails from moms and girls, and probably nine out of 10 emails all have to do with relationship drama, conflict with friends, you know, emotions, people acting on their emotions, acting, you know, abruptly or irrationally. And, um, you know, I think we all have have no people who are that kind of that bull in a china shop. They are just, you know, they act on their emotions and just can't control it. And some of us, we've done it ourselves. You know, I was telling somebody yesterday that, you know, I, I really try to when I'm angry, when I'm in a place where I'm not, you know, when I'm angry or seeing red to not send an email, to not make the phone call right then, to just wait until I get into a calm place. And yeah. I've, I've always regretted it. You know, when I have sent those emails in the past, I always regret, mm-hmm. regret it later. But when I wait a day, when I wait until I calm down, I, I, I can say it in a way that I don't regret it. And I think that really takes some intention with our girls that they... Um, a psychologist told me once that I think it's the part of the brain that interprets your emotions is behind the emotions themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they're like, they're angry or they're sad and they don't even know why. And yeah. I think that's where we can come in and be their reality check and like just really be that voice of reason. A lot yes. of times they're acting out of the amygdala. They're, you know, then that fight or flight mode, everything feels like life or death. They want to go text or, you know, do, do something right now and just being their emotional coach. Like, let's just calm down first. Mm-hmm. So I think being that, um, like I said, being that voice of reason, also helping them avoid the rumination. And mm-hmm. this is something I see with a lot of girls is that, yeah, I think we all spend so much time thinking about how people make us feel and what we're going through and just reflecting on our emotions. And we don't really reflect on how we're making other people feel. And, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously it's important to be aware of our feelings, but we can sit there and dwell on that for so long that we become very self-centered and don't even recognize how we might be making other people feel. And that leads to a lot of anxiety and depression, I think, too. So, yeah, yeah, really. yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you help girls move on from rumination? Mm-hmm. I I'm think sure just, mothers would love to know that. Yes, I, I think just helping them, you know, think beside them, outside themselves. Let's go do something nice for somebody. Let's go just, put, you know, uh, channel our energy into something creative, something different, just something to forget this, to get out of our head and just remember to get out of the bubble that we're in. Um, but really just helping us think bigger and um, being empathetic for people. And even mm-hmm. I think even if somebody's mean to your child, you know, that are mean to us, you know, we can sit and ask ourselves, okay, you know, what, what might be going on in their life to make them act that way? You know, why? There's always a reason. And maybe even remembering, you know what, I've done that to somebody before. You know, she was very rude to me, but I've done that to somebody before. And, um, and I regretted it later. And so just sometimes giving them the benefit of the doubt, especially if it is a friend. And, um, you know, I had a friend that happened with me a few years ago. We were sitting next to each other at a football game, and I'd asked her a question, and she got real snippy with me. And luckily, we're really good friends. And I've learned to kind of, like, not take it personally. I was like, you know, that's not like her. That's not out of character. I'm not going to be mad about that. So anyway, the next morning, I wake up. It's 5 o'clock in the morning, and she's texted me. She's like, I'm so sorry. I've been up for hours tonight. I feel so bad about how I treated you. But it turned out somebody had just said something hurtful to her about her daughter. And she was like, I just took it out on you. Right after she said that to me, you asked me a question and I just took it out on you. And wow. I was so glad that I wasn't rude back to her. You know, that yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moment, just to kind of give her the benefit of the doubt, give her a little grace and know that I've done that too. And I just think if we can teach our girls, not only that, but also just the conflict resolution. And mm-hmm. um, that's one thing I see with a lot of these girls. There's so much hurt in their friendships. Something, somebody does one thing wrong. They're out of the group, you know, their, their friends turn on them. And that's why there's so much insecurity in their friendships, which is like their oxygen at that age. But there's yeah. no loyalty, the, you know, the disposable friendships, And just really teaching them that, you know, friendship does not have to be over because of conflict, because every relationship is going to have conflict. And, um, and I really thought about that as I wrote this book, that if we can teach them that conflict resolution in healthy ways in the mother-daughter relationship, where they're not going to lose our love, but help them develop those skills then they can take that into their friendships and other relationships too. Yeah, I know it's really good. So you have four daughters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this one section on encouraging one-on-one resolution. So how do you deal with sibling stuff? I'm sure that your girls don't perfectly get along all the time. No, they don't. And, you know, sometimes with four, you might have two teaming up or two teaming up. But, you know, I think as mom, it's just reminding them that, you know, y'all are, you know, 
Y'all are together. This is the longest relationship you'll ever have in your lifetime. I read that when my, my second daughter was born, that you know, sibling relationships are typically the longest relationships we have. And I tell them all that, you know, friends will come and go. You know, you'll have friends in different seasons. Some friends you will keep for life, but your sisters are forever. And just, you know, really, I mean, just reminding them to be kind to each other. You know, the world is hard enough and trying to see the good in each other. But I mean, it's, it's never a perfect process. But, um, but I, I can't say that now as they get older, they kind of know each other's personalities and they know, you know, they, like I have one that's very, that was very sensitive by nature and the one that was not as sensitive by nature. And so it was different things that we worked on with each of them. You know, the mm-hmm. one that was not so sensitive, you know, she would sometimes when she was little, she would just say hurtful things and not realize it because it might not hurt her feelings if somebody said it to her, but she wouldn't realize it. And so um, we, I, had, I heard this phrase at their school the teacher said, you know, ask yourself these three questions. Is it kind? Is it true? And is it necessary? Mm, and so, good you know, we, we would ask those questions like, if it, you know, is it kind? Is it true? If it's ne- if it's, is it necessary? And if not, then, then don't ask it. Another thing um, we also heard from school is, uh, what is it? Think it or say it. You know, there, sometimes we have a thought. Just because we have a thought doesn't mean we should actually come out and say that thought. So really, and that, that's something you can do with second graders. It works really young. Is just teaching them to be mindful of their words and just really think about speaking the truth in love. And, um, and it's something, like I said, I tend to be very direct. And so I've had to tr- really work on that is how to say this. This is a hard thing to say. I think it needs to be said, but what's a loving way I can say that. And yeah. as we learn to do that as parents, I think it can influence them in the way that they're speaking to each other and to their friends too. But it's a, it's a work in progress. I mean, our house, like any other household, so, so do you kind of coach, like coach your daughter, like one daughter this way and this daughter that way? And, and then, or do you try to sit them down together or like, how do you do that resolution with them? That one-on-one you know, resolution? I don't think, honestly, they, um, at this age, the ages they are now, they don't really fight as much as they did when they were younger, thankfully. I mean, they, they still kind of pick on each other. And that's really what I do now is more responding to a situation that I see. If they say something to a sister, I'm like, you know, I'll call them out on it. Like, that was rude. That was, that was rude. You need to apologize to your sister. Um, I don't think they really don't get into those knockdown, drag out fights like they did when they were younger. But um, I think that's because I did a lot of refereeing then. But, yeah. um, but I think the main thing we deal with in the older years is just, or, you know, you know, teenagers hear all the sarcasm, you know, and sometimes they think that the, you know, sarcasm is funny. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, that, that can be really hurtful, you know, and what you said, you say that to a friend, they're not going to want to be your friend. So that's really just, you know, trying to help them be aware of those things that they might not even think about it. It's just coming out of their mouth. But, you know, saying that's really hurtful, whether you're saying that to your sister or anyone else. And that's the way I try to look at it is, you know, the way you treat your family, that's how you're going to treat people in the outside world. And that's how you'll treat people, your friends at work. And um, it's, it's going to hurt you in your relationships if you don't learn to get that right. Yeah, but like I said, yeah. now it's pretty much kind of listening to what's going on, and I don't jump in every time. But um, but when I do hear something hurtful being said or something yeah. rude, I'll call them out on it, and they'll do, and they've done it to me too. I mean, I've said things before, <laughs> and they're like, "Mom, that was rude," and I'm like, "You're right, that was rude." But that's what family's for is to keep each other accountable here. That's awesome. All right, so uh, another section you have is 50 prayers for your teenage daughter. So talk about that a little bit, how you came up with that. 
Yes, uh, that is the last chapter of the book. And it really ties into the two books that I wrote for teen girls because those books, the purpose of those books was to empower girls through faith. And um, and in that chapter, I really feel like, especially as our girls get older and our sons get older, you know, I have a friend whose husband said, the older our children get, the more we go to God about our children than to our children about God. And I'm not saying that we don't still have those faith conversations because we do, but there's so much that, you know, they're out starting to live independent lives and making decisions. And really, you know, we can do a lot of good praying for them and, you know, being their prayer warriors. And I even think about my parents, you know, it kind of, it occurred to me now that, wow, you know, some of the prayers that I know they were praying for me, you know, I can look back and I'm like, I, I wonder if that covered me in that situation. Like that was, that could have, that could have really ended badly. You know, you just think about what your people's prayers for you have done in your life. And, um, and I really want to encourage parents that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're walking one step ahead of your child in faith, or if you're just new to faith that, you know, God hears prayers. And the most important thing is where our heart is when we're praying. So, um, so really with, you know, the prayers that I pray for my children, obviously for their health, I think that's a big prayer for 2020. You know, you realize in a year like this, that health, nothing else matters beyond health. I mean, what is it? If you, if you have your health, then you have a thousand prayers. If you don't have your health, you have one prayer. I read that recently on Facebook. <laughs> That's but, good. Um, so pray for health. And I also pray for protection and yeah. um, not just physical protection, but especially in a year like this, I'm praying for mental protection because I think that mental health really needs to be an even bigger conversation than it is now. And we need to teach our children to, you got to protect your mental health. And, you know, you got to make sure that you're in a good place mentally and talking it out with people. Um, so I pray for their, you know, their mental health, physical health, spiritual health, and emotional health. Um, another thing I pray for is obviously for good friends. I pray for good influences in their life as they get older. I know that my influences, you know, they're maybe getting a little bit less influential and they have other people coming in and speaking into their life. Um, and so praying also for light to find light. I have a friend that we talked about that a few years ago, especially in the high school years when friend groups start shifting. And, you know, changes are happening and some people are making different decisions than other people. And, you know, the kids aren't really sure where they get, where they belong or who they want to be with. Just to really pray that light will find light and they can influence, influence each other in positive ways. Um, yeah. Other prayers, I pray a lot of prayer. I pray for, I, I'm praying for college roommates right now. You know, as mine get closer to that age, just college roommates, the people that they'll meet in college. I, um, I pray that they end up assuming they go to college, that, um, you know, they end up where God wants them to be. And I think about, you know, I want them to be in the right place. And I met my husband in college and I met some of my best friends in college. And I think sometimes we think about that stage of life as like, where's, where's the most prestigious place they can go or what's the best for their major. And those are, you know, those are valid questions, but really to me, the most important thing is we just want them to be where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to have the experiences they need to have and meet the people they're supposed to meet. So I really pray about that. Um, and I just pray for their, I pray about their faith and their relationship with God and that they, they feel his peace and his presence and hear his voice. That, that's one question I get a lot from teen girls is I want to be closer to God. You know, I want to hear his voice. How can I hear his voice better? But really just being able to recognize that. And um, also praying for a spirit of discernment. You know, I read it was um, recently that discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. You just have that sense. <laughs> and it's hard. It, it's really yeah. hard. Yeah, but, no, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. So, um, yeah, we got a long list in that chapter of all the different prayers. Yeah, no, they're great. Your prayers and why I like those prayers is you're praying with a vision of what it can be. 
Yeah. Because a lot of times moms pray out of a fear and it's like, you know, don't let her get pregnant, you know, um, you know, pray she's not in a car accident. And if you pray in kind of a negative way, your imagination has gone to is actually in trauma because you're picturing that. You're right. picturing that really negative thing happening to your daughter. Right. So what I what I like to do with my moms is I'll say, I'm gonna let you have full permission to write every single one of your fears down and just mm-hmm. go for it. Like she's going to get raped. What I do is have them write all their fears down and then I have them turn it around into a a positive, kind of like your prayers. Mm, Love that. And so you get to, after you do all those fears, you can turn it around. You get to the, a lot of the prayers that you're praying is like that she, you know, that she's surrounded with good friends and that she's protected and that she has Mm -hmm. good health and she makes good decisions and good choices. Why that's good on so many levels is mom's we need a place to deal with all of our anxiety Mm because there's a lot of fear in terms of parenting our kids. And so that needs a place to go. If, if, if it doesn't go to something greater than ourselves, it goes often into kind of micromanaging our kids. That's so good. I love that. What'd you say if it doesn't go into something greater than ourselves? Yeah, greater than ourselves. And then then we become what I call the 24-hour monitor, and we just Mm -hmm. micromanage, micromanage, micromanage. Because fear is a real thing with parents. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's huge. Right. So that's why I really like that you ended this book with those prayers. And so what in the heck does your fall look like? With this COVID dragging on and on, I mean, how does that affect your life and with your girls? It, it's crazy, and I'm such a planner, and so it's been a real test for me because I'm used to looking ahead in my calendar. What do I need to do today to be ready for three months from now? And I can't do that. But um, in our community, we have our elementary school is full-time, so that's interesting that my baby, who's in fifth grade, who's usually the one that's with me the most, I'm now seeing her the least because she's in school full-time, and they're staying, in, they're staying in their classroom all day. And, um, and it's just kind of sad. I'm thankful that we get the opportunity to go back to school. So I appreciate all the measures that they've done to make that possible. But yeah. it is sad, you know, the other day, she, she um, like, I didn't get to see, you know, two of my best friends. Um, it's, it's odd because they say all those things that kind of make school fun, which is lunch or PE or recess when you get to talk to your friends. Those have all really been taken away. So, Ah. you know, she was like, I saw my two friends today. I got to wave to them. And I thought, that is so sad. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That is sad. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to dwell on that, but it is just kind of a sad situation. Yeah. Um, Our older girls, the junior high and high school, they're on a rotating schedule. So they're either two days a week or three days a week in school. And then it's um, at home the other days. And we also have the virtual option for anyone who wants that. But, um, I mean, I've yet to talk to anybody whose children like the virtual option. It's just, yeah, it's not no, it's yeah. hard, you know, even though the older kids are more self-sufficient, they can do it. It's really hard to learn, um, you know, in the school situation. I mean, they might have like five people in their class, you know, they don't really have the time to eat. It's just like, you know, one class, I think my daughter had two other people and her in that classroom, they're all spread out. So, you know, one of them was like, even those little things like being able to turn around and talk to your friend, that's gone. And um, one of the lunch rooms at the junior high, I think they have it set up like school desks. It's all facing forward and you're six feet apart in the school desk. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So oh I'm my goodness. trying to be sensitive to that as a parent and just, you know, 
it's not ideal. Like I said, I'm glad we do have that option and they've made it possible. But, um, you know, it's just, it's hard. And I realize that what they love the most about school, seeing their friends, those things have kind of been taken out of the experience. And so as a parent, I'm trying to be sensitive to that and know between that and wearing a mask all day that they will probably come home just drained and exhausted. Yeah. Um, at all. How can we encourage these moms? Okay. I, um, I think the biggest thing that I've really realized writing this book, and I, I say this because I need it myself, is just to know that we were created to parent with a spirit of strength and not defeat. And when we were talking about the prayers for our daughters, I think another prayer is for God to, to give us the strength and to equip us to be the moms that they need us to be. And I think it is so easy to live in that place of, oh, I made a mistake yesterday, or I'm failing this way, or I'm falling short in all these ways, and really stay stuck there and forget all the things that we're doing right. And also know that we're not perfect moms, but we're enough, you know, and that we were chosen to be their moms for a reason and to really just to, to, ease, to go into that role and to um, really, I think, try to see our children the way that our creator sees us too, that even on our worst days, we're loved and we're worthy and we have nothing to prove. Um, but I, I really think too, something I have felt this year is just, you know, talking about self-care. We hear a lot about self-care and I've realized how important friendship is as a form of self-care especially for moms, that my husband is so understanding. He is like the most empathetic husband ever, but he still doesn't understand what it's like to be a mom like my friends do. And I've really needed those relationships this year, just people who understand. And we might laugh about it or, you know, roll our eyes about it, but just finding that unity and finding ways to connect and get together, even though these are isolating times, but to not isolate ourselves and to really, whether it's one or two friends, but really having people healthy relationships, people that build us up and that help us feel empowered to do what we need to do. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. And I do think for the mom, I think for a lot of moms too, is you need your own time. There are plenty of moms who are a little bit more introverted. They love their friends and that's super important, of course, but you might need a little more time by yourself, like just to kind of feel more grounded or even know what you're thinking or what you're feeling. So you know, taking that long walk or just giving yourself an hour or 30 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes. But you need that time for yourself to kind of reconnect like mom, like just talking to yourself, like, how am I doing? How am I doing right now? And you can be totally real with your girls. It's like, you know, I am really super stressed. So I am going to go for a long run and your girls are going to totally appreciate it. So I remember coming home one day and my daughter's five years old and she goes, mom, you need a quiet time. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You're like, you picked up on it. (laughs) Yeah. And so they know. So I think if we're kind of honest with them about Mm -hmm. how we're feeling, then, then your kids can be honest with you. I agree. And I think you made a great point too about moms needing that quiet time. And, you know, a lot of us, especially if you're at home a lot and you're used to being home alone and all of a sudden you've had a house full of people for five months. I mean, I even had an appliance guy here fixing something last week and (laughs) he was telling me all the the housewives he's met that they're like, they're about to go crazy with their husbands working from home. And it's hard. It doesn't matter how great your relationship is, but when you're constantly underneath each other and everybody's home, you've got more laundry, more dishes. I mean, that's how I felt. Sometimes you're like, I'm about to just like drown. <laughs> I, I, I fix it, I finish it, and then it's all back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do think we moms need just that time to decompress and that alone time. And our children do too, just to take the breath. 
Yes. So moms, we see you out there. We know it's hard. Um, We're going to both, both of us, uh, Carrie has uh, a podcast. And of course, you know that I have one, but we're going to keep speaking life over you. We're going to try to keep encouraging you. And uh, we know it's hard. If people want to connect with you, Carrie, um, how can they do that? Uh, Probably the best ways are through Instagram and Facebook. Um, It's just my name on Instagram, and it's Carrie Kampakis Writer on Facebook. I also have the podcast. It's called The Girl Mom Podcast. And then my blog is at CarrieKampakis.com. Awesome. And if they were interested in uh, buying your book, where would they find that? Yes, you can find it on Amazon and all the online retailers. And it should be available in all the bookstores. And if they don't have it in stock, they can order it. Okay, great. And so I'll put all this info about you um, in my show notes. I really appreciate your time today. So uh, I guess all your kids will be getting out of school soon. Yes, (laughs) that's when the chaos begins. 2.50 on the dot. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much um, for being generous and Uh, just sharing your wonderful encouragement to all the moms that are listening. Of course. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.